episode 19 of Board Games with Variant Hex is all about Cursed Court. I'm Kelly, and in this episode, Adam and Aaron will dive deep into this game. They've played it countless times, made up their own versions and rules, and have a lot of thoughts to share about it. My most vivid memory of this game is that while learning it, Adam took on the persona of a character to read us the rulebook, which we still reference to this day. Ah, yes. And that's what I like most about Cursed Court, so without further ado, I'll turn it over to Adam and Aaron talking about Cursed Court. You know, Adam, I was thinking the other day of a game that has lots of nice pictures and is oriented in a square and maybe has like a roulette type feel, even to the point of having poker chips, and I just couldn't think of the name of the game. That's who, Aaron. That's the game you're thinking of. No, I mean, I, 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 who's on first, Adam? That's not it. <laughs> uh, no, the game you're thinking of is Cursed Court. Oh, what a game. That is exactly it. I don't know how you came up with it. Maybe it's that we plan to talk about it on this Right, episode. I don't know how you forgot about the game when we plan to talk about it. It actually seems more unlikely. So I would like to give you a quiz before we start talking about this. Uh, yes. The quiz is, do you know what my favorite part of, of the game Curse Court is. Your favorite part of the of OG the, rules? N- nope. My favorite part of the experience of Curse Court. I will, I, will, I will give spoilers. It has nothing to do with the... Well, actually, you know what? It does have something very distinctly to do with the rules. I think it's getting harder to guess, but is it the final reveal when you lay out the final tableau? No, but you have said the word that it concerns just now. Tableau. Yeah. Saying the word tableau. Yeah, but we don't say the word tableau, do we? What I don't we know if you remember this. So when you read us the rules the first time, you insisted on saying tabla like that. And <laughs> You're right. That rules read was nonsense. I don't know how we, any, anyone learned how to play that game. Yeah. Uh, so there was a vague Australian accent, maybe? Yeah. Ah, lots was, of, ah, yes. I and think, now we will do this. And now we will do that. Into the tabla. Yeah, it, never it just got more like ridiculous. That. You know what? I vaguely forgot about it. I was oh. trying to do all this curse court thinking. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty fun. I agree with you, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah, very good. So should we give like, a, for the people who don't know what the hell curse court is and why we love it so much, should we give like a, just a brief, you know, this is what the hell this game is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, and I understand pe- most people don't know what this game is, and they may have played it once. Now they've played it wrong first off. Absolutely, they because did. they played it because they played it right. Yeah, but they, we're going to get into that. Follow in the rules; it's okay. At best, go ahead, Aaron. Why don't you lead us off with what are we looking at here? So imagine there's a tableau of cards, and there's uh yeah there's there's like nine characters, right? And we don't need to go into the characters are; it's not pertinent to the game, right? And then there's a deck that has a, a version of each one of these characters four different times. And in the four-player game, there's, like, some shared information. So each person gets to look at two cards, but they share one card with the person to the right and to the left. In a two-player game, no shared information. You just look at two cards. Your opponent doesn't know what they are. And then you look at the two cards, and you know what they are. And those become your secret information. And then throughout the course of a round, other cards that will be kind of matched, that match these faces will enter the tableau. And basically, as you get more and more information, you commit chips to a series, it's like a roulette style thing where like you might be betting on the top right three or you might be betting on the middle card which is the queen having stuff or you might be betting on a diagonal or whatever. You're betting on stuff and there's like a mechanic where like if I bet, I someone has to go twice as much as me with a limited amount of chips to replace my bet. So there's like some jockeying for position. 
And then after four or six cards, it, it depends on how many people are playing. After a number of cards are revealed, typically an eight or nine card version of the tableau is revealed. Of course, there can be duplicates. And then if your roulette combinations hit, you 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 score points, right? And uh, I think I did a halfway decent job. If you uh, don't understand how to play the game, maybe check out a video that has visual aids and uh, buy the game. It's fun. Did buy the game. Uh, it will come with the rules, which is a nice little bonus that game uh, specifically offers. The rules in the game. If you ask nicely, Adam might do cameo and like send you a tableau reading. Oh, uh, you know, you don't even have to pay a cameo. Yeah. You know what? I may just show up. You just invite me. <laughs> you tell me what you're cooking. I may just be there and I'll host a personal curse court evening for you. It'll be, uh, it'll be yes. great. Yes. Yeah. So the the very short, I guess you did a great job, Aaron. Is that it's hidden information and you're putting bets on a board of characters based on that limited information throughout the round. You get a little bit more information, but nobody knows all the information ever to try to place bets. The more unlikely the combination. So if you bet on four characters being in the tableau in a specific way, you'll get more points for that than right. say just on an individual character based on, again, just odds of this happening in the deck. Yeah. And there's, there's like a, the only exception to that is if the same character appears three or four times in a, in a round, which is very unlikely. That would be the highest scoring opportunity, but it almost never happens, so it's not it's not super notable. Yeah, it's still be the most statistically unlikely yielding yeah. the highest reward. Yeah. I mean, I think it does follow that pattern pretty specifically there. Um, and it is, depending on your play group, uh, you know, the people involved, it is very much a sometimes a deception game or a leading people to a conclusion that may not be true. Right. You don't have to necessarily play that way. Um, I can tell you that as the person who, in our four-player games, 100% of the time sat across from Jason. It's the way now, to lose. I've lost every time with four players because what that means is, so if you imagine between each, like in a square, between the left and the right, we share cards. So I know what the person to my left and the person to my right, but Jason sitting across from me, we're not connected by any cards, so I know absolutely none of the information Jason knows. And whatever he plays is apparently done only for the purpose to make me lose this game of Curse Court because I can't follow any of the logic that he's doing. And I think he did well that game. Like, it's not that he's playing incorrectly or poorly. He just is leading me down paths that I am following blindly to, to zero points. Yeah, I don't understand how Jason plays the game, but he does. He, he, I feel like a lot of times, though, in those games, I would I would win those games, but I had half of Jason's information, which was crucial. And made my job a lot easier. And then I was sitting across from Kelly, who never lies during deception games. So I had the best information because I had basically perfect information from Kelly, who I should have had no information from. And and then I had partial information from Jason, and then partial information from you. And you know, honestly, when you're making bets based on being confused about what Jason is having done, like that helps me because you're going to like respond negatively to a thing Jason does. And it's going to give me an idea of what you were expecting or what you might've had. Yeah. It's, it's hard not to kind of tell some information sometimes in the game, but I think that's the fun part of it too. And uh, look for uh, a later or earlier podcast episode where we go into more depth uh, of skills and things we do uh, in deception specific games. Yeah, so a little, sure. A little foreshadowing on that, um, or what's foreshadowing in the back in the past? <laughs> I don't know. What's that called? Um, I believe that's just like storytelling. Oh, okay. That's uh, just remembering. That's please just, remember also. Yeah, please Sorry. remember also that we discussed this last time. 
Cursed Core also. So we, so that's kind of the base game with this. We, during pandemic, for those of you that weren't aware, uh, over the last year and a half or so, we started playing games, Aaron and I, online. Yep. Over Tabletop Simulator, we started playing chess. Uh, we talk a lot about chess now in life and play a lot of chess now in life. Kind of, that was the founding point of that. But one of the games we played was Curse Core. I don't remember how that happened. How do we end up playing this? I, you, you know, I think I think Kelly recommended it. We were both, so I feel like, as I recall it, and this is, I might be making stuff up. As I recall it, we, we were kind of getting sick of chess. And I think it was at, uh, we had gotten to a point with chess where you were just going to beat me every time. And, and you know, we'll kind of go ebb and flow. And there'll be times when I win like a bunch in a row and then you catch up or vice versa. But we were at a point where like you were beating me every time. I didn't really feel like I could, I could beat you and it was becoming less fun. And I care more about winning than you do anyway. And so Kelly was like, why don't you guys play Curse Court? Because you, you, we always like to play it, and she never wanted to play it. And she was like, well, take this opportunity where I'm not playing to just play this game. We kind of revisited it. We played just the base game, but on Tabletop Simulator, you can do things that you might not be able to do uh, over the table. So we like played with it a little bit. I think I'll just kind of dive into the rules change that we made first. And I think we actually made this rules change in real life, and then we reprised it when we started doing it online, which is in a typical game, like I said, there's four cards for every face, and you would shuffle in between every round. So any outcome across any round was equally as likely as the next. But Adam and I played it once face-to-face. I think just wrong. We didn't mean to do it this way, but we didn't reshuffle the deck. And there's there ends up being like four cards left at the end of the game that never get used. And then as the game goes on, it, it significantly increases the skill factor because you have not only information of the two cards you saw, but you also know what else has been played. So you know, like, oh, the queen's not going to be very likely. There's already been three of those in this game. There's only one queen left in the deck. Or you know, hey, there hasn't been any kings. So you can start making deception bets based on probabilities. And it just really basically you can, you can ignore the requirements of having some piece of the pie before you place a bet. Maybe. Or you can know that your opponent's going to think that you're doing that and don't do that. But it, I think it makes the game more skill, more complex, super fun. So much more fun. I think that should be a like if an official rule change. I don't know who, I forget who makes the game, but they should make that a, a change. The game is perfect with it. Oh, it's so good. It. Yeah. And I'll say like, uh, if Kelly were here to defend it, she's like, no, no, no. I don't need any game where Aaron's counting cards. I think the counting cards is less relevant because I think rarely there's not so many cards and so many interactions where I feel like, yes, you're you're better you're better at that than I am for sure. Like if you ask what the last four cards are, you're gonna know more than I. Yeah, that's do a fun side game, cards. by the way. If you play the game the way Adam and I just suggested, you absolutely need to play the side game of guess the last four cards. And I'm like. As card counting goes, I'm, like, just better than the average person at card counting. But I'm not, like, a savant. Like, I get the last four cards wrong sometimes. Um, like, I'm not always having them. But I do have them a lot. But what I will say is I don't think it affects our win and loss ratio, the fact that you know that. Uh, no. I, I think it only plays in the last round sometimes. Correct. Yeah, If you if I make a bet based on bad memory information that yeah. you know is correct sure you'll take you know advantage of that but you could also be wrong on those things right. you know so i think and because there still is because there still is hidden information so there's not a like as you're playing that last round you're not guaranteed to know those last four until the game is over right well and, and so, so you it's see not, so it's not affecting your betting yeah, like there still is there's six cards you don't know right right oh. the way we play yeah Plus the ones that haven't been revealed yet openly. Like, up until the last round, there's seven and then eight and then nine, right? Right. So so I don't know that it has an impact on that, because I think that is a great point, though, of if you're with people that 
card count versus not, some games are much less fun when that's the case. I don't think the fun is affected by this one bit by it. So that, yeah, that's the first rule change we made was if it, once a card has been shown, it's done until the game is over or until the round is over. Sorry. At that point, then the next rule change we made was how the betting works. Yeah. So right now, like you can bet any one of your 20 chips on a, an outcome and then for someone else to overcome you they have to double your bet so if you bet 11 like you have that outcome locked down nobody can nobody can do anything to you similarly and it's, it's, there's some mathiness in the game like if your opponent's committed seven chips to the board they have 13 left then all you have to do is bid seven and then you have that on lockdown so long as you don't push their seven off and give them more chips to come back at you with right yeah and that's where it almost becomes area control in that way of resources and moving things to some degree like it's a really great game the more we talk about it the more yeah. i love it um and so you're you're right so that's that was kind of the original way of playing it and then we said let's change what was the first betting change we made i know Gosh. where we ended i know yeah where we, we ended was amazing i i think we we did a couple of different things i know at some point we did a thing where you didn't get to take your chips back like, we did that one, and you could earn them back, though, if someone, like, booted you. Yeah. And then there was some other way to get them back. I think at one point, didn't we try doing, like, rolling, like, like you know, like, rollover minutes where, like, if you didn't use your chips in one round, you could use it in the next round? Yeah, yeah. I you think could, maybe we tried we did, that we one time. We did some time. rollover chips. That was pretty fun. There was one where we, like, drew a box on the tabletop simulator, and our chips would, like, go in there to jail, and there was a way to get them out of there. And obviously, I don't remember enough to, to be productive on this podcast. <laughs> No. So yeah, there was yeah, there was a very complicated paying back chips or something like that or Yeah, I think you know, I think I, I think the the one we played the most often I think is if you committed chips to the board, let's say I put 3 on a thing and somebody came over the top of me, they put 6 there, then I didn't get my 3 chips back like I typically would. Like you just had 20 chips for the round and that was it. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we did do that. And then you know, if you come over six and I lose my three, then that's uh, we might have played a variation too where you didn't get them back ever. Like you just had seventeen chips going in the next round or something like that. Which we I think we would have only done that once because it's not very fun. There's not a lot of action going on there. No, it's a lot really, of it really takes and thinking away. and so, you're only betting on the highest stuff. So having seen how much not fun that was, kind of led us to kind of our final emanation of the game, which we affectionately refer to as 80 Chips. It would be the name of this game if we ever just, I don't know at what point we've made enough changes to this game to make our own game called 80 Chips. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be printing out cardboard anytime well, soon. Well, and either, then so. all of the board game, you know, podcasters and reviewers would say, well, this game is somewhat derivative of Cursed Court. And you know what? Free advertising for Cursed Court is how I look at this. They'd be exactly right. It's exactly derivative yeah. of Cursed Court. <laughs> but 80 chips. So instead of having a thing where you couldn't get your chips back. Aaron. What? Did we ever say it's four rounds? Do we make that clear? Oh, it's four rounds. It's important. I think that's getting, I think as we're talking, it's going to be more confusing. And then that's where, too, like where the cards don't shuffle in between the rounds, which is the original rule. Yeah. So if every round, like, so for us, we would each have two hidden cards. So that's four cards. And then we would reveal one card every round for this betting. And then that would lead us to. Yeah, there's there's four turns in a round. So the tableau. Four turns in a round, four rounds in a game. Yeah. So the tableau at the end of every round has eight cards. So it could have all but one card. But more commonly, there's a duplicate of one of the faces, and so not every scoring possibility happens. Right. So I think 
you know, we probably should have said that in the beginning. I don't, maybe we did. I don't remember saying the four round thing, but that's where we've decided you don't ever shuffle those in, which is as you keep playing this game, you end up with more and more information. That's the fun part. And then it matters a lot for this because you would have 20 chips at the beginning of each round that you'd use to bet. So over the course of four rounds, 80 chips, that's how we came up with that number, right? So instead of getting 20 chips every round, why don't we just take that whole 80 at the beginning? And then and just that's, that's all it. you get for the whole game. And then in this in this place, if somebody bumps you during a round, you do get your chips back. But at the end of the round, your chips go out of the game. So if I commit 27 chips in the first round, I go into the next round with whatever 80 minus 27 is. And Adam, Adam might have only committed 10 chips the first round, so he's coming in with 70 to my 53. And, you know, he might have scored fewer points because of not committing those chips. So then he might kind of have an upper leg or things like that. I will say it doesn't, there, there were games where it, like it doesn't rubber band. Like if you win the first round in points with less chips, it's hard for the other person to come back. You can't let that happen. Basically right. is what you learn. Yeah. Like you have to just spin those, like you have to respect the balance of chips to points. Unless you just get a real bad beat. Like they have two of the same character hidden and one comes out, and they just hit like that triple of the same one in right. round one. Like, you can't do anything about that. I mean, that's just it. Still, is a lot of luck in this game. The betting and the power structure that that betting then leads to future rounds. Are, is there another game that does this like that, Aaron? No, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, really, honestly, if you, I mean, if you if you count it by the rule books, there's not a game that does it. Yeah, I don't think so. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty fun. The the two rules manipulations really play nicely together because when when the cards don't ever repeat. You'll see as you play this game a lot, there's scoring patterns. So you might have a round where 10 points is a good score because of the coverage of the cards. Like the more cards that are out there, the more points that are going to be scored. What you want to kind of understand as you're playing in any given round of 80 chips is how likely is it this going to be a high scoring round or a low scoring round? So, you know, the first round's kind of neutral. And if the first round has a very even disbursement, then you can kind of get ready for a game of 80 chips where every round is going to be kind of high scoring and you can kind of spend 20 chips a round and do okay. But if you get an uneven round in the first round of 80 chips, I mean, you got to be really be ready for the economy to shift because there's probably going to be a high scoring round and several low scoring rounds and you need to blow maybe 60 chips in the round that's going to have the best coverage, but you have to kind of discern when that is and it's, it's, it's just a lot of fun. Also, and maybe we play a little different this way, I think I'm a little more prone to this, where once you're behind on points you have to make those points up. Right. And sometimes you can do them with chips, but I feel like I'll also take bigger gambles in, in an 80-chip version because if I can get up on points without spending the chips because that balance has to be there, if you can beat the balance by that taking a risk on something and maybe it shows up later or maybe it's these hidden things that, you know, whatever that is, it's more valuable than in the original rules by far. I mean, absolutely it is. And I feel like sometimes you do have to gamble and then lose by a lot, like if your gamble yeah. doesn't pay off. And and then the gamble has the double the double benefit of being misleading to me. Because yeah. if, oh, if yeah. you're gambling, yeah. then I'm going to be, you know, and, and I would say it's a, it's a lot like poker in that I think if you're playing the game well, you're bluffing somewhere between 5 and 15% of the time. And that 15% is probably too high for poker. But I think in this game you, you can bluff kind of that much. But you're not bluffing more than you're not bluffing. Like, if you're bluffing, if you're playing Curse Court and you're bluffing 75% of the time, then I'm beating you at Curse Court, is what's happening. Because, because, because the gonna be able information to score. isn't disproportionate. Like, yeah. you have enough information that you, you wouldn't lose, right? That's your line of thinking that yeah, and I you would, would have per- to maintain uh, gambles based on information. Yeah, and I would kind of understand what you were doing, and I would just make safe bets and score every time. Because I can always bet on my cards and win. Right. 
because I know what's going to come in to some extent. I think one of the things that 80 chips does is it takes the easy button out of a couple of strategies. Like one, if you're playing just regular 20 chips things, it's possible that you'll start off seeing three cards and those three cards will form a scoring set of three points, which is like a, the, a pretty good outcome, right? If you have, uh, if you have uh, a roulette space that scores three points, it's pretty common, but pretty, pretty good. And you can just throw 11 chips on there at, at, if you go first. And you'd be like, yeah, I know this is true. I'll put 11 chips here. I'm getting three points, solid footing for this round, and then I'll kind of scrap for the other stuff. That strategy in the first round of 80 chips, is you can't do it because you can't commit 11 chips at the beginning of the game not knowing what the scoring environment of that round is going to be. And the fact that someone else, if they really wanted to, could, oh, could go over, yeah, yeah. You'd have to go forty-one, right? Like right this, yeah. No, because to put a safe bet with eight chips, you have to put forty-one chips down. Yeah, no yeah. one's, you know, which we've we've gone up in the forties before. Oh yeah, before, well, I, I feel like one of the early eighty chips, you came out with twenty, like on the first or second move. I know, and it was a, and it was a, it was a good scoring opportunity that you did it on. So, like, one of the things that happens if if if, if it's the first round of the game and there's two of any card in your initial set. Like if that card gets triplicated in that first round, that's going to be worth five points, and that's that's where you want your chips. Yeah, at, at whatever cost, basically. Like right. it's going to set the pace for things. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, it, and I like, and it's you can just do a lot of fun stuff because you can play the reserve thing, and still, I don't know. There's so many fun strategies, but yeah, I yeah. Look, I do like to come in usually pretty bold on stuff. Just and it's fun to just slap a big, big stack of chips on stuff. Like, right. I don't know. Maybe that's just me that the actual, we've never done it in person. We no, can't, we, we can't. We, we, I mean, you'd have to get, we have to get more chips because the game only comes with, with 40 chips. No, no, it would be 40 chips. Each. I think the whole game comes with 80 chips. So we would need another 80 chips. Yeah. But I'd want the same colors. So right. We'd have to so buy, we'd have to buy four, four sets of the game. Or we just buy some poker chips. Or we support the gaming community, Aaron, and buy four of her copies of Cursed Court. We could just lovingly call that the Collector's Edition Cursed Court, which is, there's no actual Collector's Edition. It's just where you buy four copies and make your own. Oh, can you game. imagine a 16-round game with the whole with four decks? Oh, super. Oof. But then because we've also. We've also built this whole thing based around just uh, it being a two-player game. Like we've right. never done yeah. this. Yeah, we've never done it with other people. Well, I think there's Adam and I play the game a lot differently too, which I think is interesting because we, you know, we didn't we basically developed the alternate rules and then played together. I'm a big fan of like betting small early. I I bid one chip for my first turn of a round so often that it's kind of impossible for Adam to know if I really want it or not based on my one chip bid. That's kind of my a general strategy that I employ not all the time. And then I'll vary that up when I think he's on to whatever it is that I'm doing. And I think Adam is more like the, no, I'm going to go after the things I'm going to go after. And then, But it's more troubling because if Adam does bluff on like a 10-chip bet, I'm screwed. Like, yeah. And you, you, can't, you can't bluff all the time. No, you, know, you can't but do you it all the time. Just, you have to, but I feel like in this game, it, I guess you don't have to. It rewards heavily. Just sprinkling in a good bluff, though, yeah. will just wreck around sometimes. Oh, and then my absolute favorite thing to do, and again, I don't do it all the time. I'll not telling Adam so that he doesn't know. I'll not look at my cards. So yeah. I, so I have two pieces. So I basically only have the public information and any information I think I've gleaned from Adam. And those have been some really fun rounds of Curse Court. That's good. Those are fun. Uh, the other thing, because the round one, you're only going to know three cards. Right. If you, I do like putting a bet on a four carder. Oh, at the first, the first to go. Round. Yeah, that's pretty. You fun. know, you know it's wrong, right? Everyone knows it's wrong. No one can do anything with that information. But if you hit, and you don't, I don't put one chip on there. I like 
an 80 chip, I like a good four to seven. Four chips to seven. On there. Yeah, that's kind of your range. Just, just enough to where like it's gonna hurt them to bid on it if they don't think if they don't have all the pieces of the information. And it's still sometimes hard to get four pieces of information on those. Well, and I think but if it hits, if you can get four points. Oh, four points from is four so chips. Good. Four points. Oh well, my gosh. The the thing about the four points, the, doing the four early. Like, your opponent then has to be stuck asking the question. Like, there's several questions. Like, as soon as you play that there, I say, okay, does he have two or four? Or, sorry, two or three. Does he have two pieces of information or three pieces of information? Almost never are you going to make that play with one piece of that information. First of all, I absolutely love making it with one piece of the information. Oh, God. Because if you play with Aaron a bunch, he just... Yeah. It, it, will, it will affect you more. It will do a better job of affecting your decisions. Right. Because you will assume that there's at least two. And if there's not, you made some terrible plays. We both made terrible and wonderful plays well, this game and based I'll, on thinking... It's, I'll it's, also it's, let go of my assumption that it was two based on future moves, but not all the time, and it's not easy for me to let go of that assumption. Yeah, now if you do a four and then run another line that, that indicates two and it's still not two there, yeah. then it's pretty fun. Yeah, that's no, pretty that's much going to yeah. like... Yeah, because I mean, the, the, there's one of the things we haven't kind of just said distinctly, but but is fun is there's overlap in the roulette style thing. So it's not like roulette where I'm going to bet. I mean, it is like roulette. You're not, though, betting like red 32. You're like red or black. But in this case... Aaron, instead of even referencing roulette, it is just a three by three grid yeah. of squares. So like... That's what this game is. Yeah, so you can do like, right, it's like roulette with betting, but it's not the same at all as far as this physical space. Right, but you can do like top corner or bottom right corner, so like the middle, the top left, and middle yeah. right. But then you can also do the top row, which is two of those three cards. So that kind of line plays together nicely. Or you could do four corners and then a diagonal bet. So there's some overplay yeah. between those things. So there's there's a lot of like overlap on on the betting patterns. Right. I see what you mean. Okay, I got you. Yeah. So it becomes but, pretty. But yeah, that's but it's much smaller in that three by three grid sense. But then with the cards coming out, right? It's... But you can kind of get a sense, and that's why you say playing with Jason is infuriating, because he'll play a line where it's like, well, there's no way he can score anything but like two points here because he's bet on every. He only <laughs> knows four cards. But though. he, but you know what? He beats me. That's the thing. Is oh, like, yeah. I, I, it's not a a slight against Jason because in a four player game he will beat me. Yeah. a high number of times. In a four player game, I feel like it's you know if you can get out to a nice lead, it's going to. I think actually anytime if you can get out to a lead in curse court, it's easy to play defensively and, and not let people back in. Correct. In the in the original rules for sure, I would say to a fault in the original rules. And I think right. 80 chips helps to balance it out that way. Yeah. Where hopefully if you're behind in points again, you're up on chips, so you yeah. have resources to catch up. Yeah, I hopefully. mean we've played games of 80 chips where one of us was trailing by six or seven points going into the final round, but had a 30 chip deficit. And basically that's pretty even, basically, because if you have a 30 chip, you know, advantage, you're basically gonna get every square you want in the final round. And depending on the cards and how they come out, you, you can know, shut maybe people if you out. Get, if you pick up a, a four and a three, I mean, now you've bridged that gap yeah. pretty quickly and you still have more points to get. I mean, we've had some monster last rounds because yeah. of that. And I will say the one thing we haven't kind of covered is if you do play the three or four players, the board gets really, I think there's aspects of it that are less fun three or four players because everyone is basically committing to four betting squares on the board and it gets pretty crowded in a three and four player game where in a two player game, you know, you're basically, you're very rarely getting shut out on a bet unless you just speculated and were wrong. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point. And we don't really know how 80 chips could affect, again, that three or four player game, what that would look like. Yeah, we'd have to have. It would be interesting, though. I think it could be really fun. Three players for sure. Four might be still a little crowded. Mm -hmm. And if you're going in less chips than three people, oof, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard hard to get an early run. Like we've had, we've played this enough where like we have very specific ideas of the strategies. It would break and change a lot of those yeah but i mean the the moral of the story here is buy yourself a copy of curse court play by the rules one time then never reshuffle the deck and if you really have fun 
turn on some 80 chips. It's amazing. Oh, it's so good. And I just, I'm a big advocate of, you know, we have all these games. I assume people listening to this didn't find us by searching, what is a board game? Let me listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, we have all these games. I I love homebrewing for this reason, where it's this game where it would have probably just maybe eventually been gone or sat on a shelf, unplayed, gotten to the back of the, you know, the pile. But it's one of our favorite games because oh. we just made a few tweaks of how we want to play. And you can do that with any game. And I respect games that were made with balance in mind or were made with odds in mind, but play the game you want to play yeah. on this. You know, feel free to do it. Thank you so much for listening to episode 19 of Board Games with Variant Hex. Be sure to subscribe to know when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Twitch, all at Variant Hex. We have a website and a blog at VariantHex.com. We'd love to hear what you've been playing recently, or if listening to this inspired you to try Cursed Court or even the 80 Chips variant. The next episode will be Adam, Aaron, and myself playing more board game games. This time it'll be 20 questions with game components. Unless you're listening to these backwards, in which case you'll hear the three of us reflect on board gaming in 2021. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Yeah.